Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mims Davis. Number one, Mr Speaker, please. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I know the whole House has been deeply saddened by the death of Harry Harpham last week from cancer. After a distinguished career as a miner, an advisor to David Blunkett and a Sheffield councillor, he was returned to this place last May, succeeding David Blunkett himself. While he was only in this place a short time, he quickly became a popular MP, recognised for his commitment to his constituents and his beliefs. It's a measure of the man that he continued to carry out his work as an MP throughout his treatment. We offer his wife Jill and his five children our profound condolences. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mims Davis. Firstly, firstly, may I associate myself alongside colleagues with the sentiments expressed at the sad loss of the member for Sheffield and Brightside and Hillsborough. He came to this House with an excellent record in local government and will be greatly missed. I am sure the whole House send our condolence to his family at this sad time. Housing is the number one issue in my constituency. Queries on a workable local plan looking after our green spaces while strongly offering that pure conservative value of the right to buy. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that our help to buy ices, one currently being taken out every 30 seconds, are the right way to promote both savings and encourage home ownership? I absolutely agree with my honourable friend. One of the most difficult things for young people is to get that deposit together for their first flat or their first house. And that's where these help to buy ICES, where we match some of the money they put in, can make such a difference. And it is uh, right to note that a quarter of a million first-time buyers have opened a help to buy ISA. So what we've seen under this government is 40,000 people exercise the right to buy their council house. Now we're extending that to all housing association tenants. And we've seen 130,000 people uh, with help to buy getting the the first um, flat uh, or the first house. There's more to do, mostly building houses, but helping people with their deposits is absolutely vital for our country. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister and the member for Eastleigh in paying tribute to Harry Harpham, the Honourable Member for Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough, a former miner who passed away last week. Just a short time ago, Harry used his last question here to ask the Prime Minister questions about the Sheffield Forge Masters and the steel industry. I hope the Prime Minister will reflect on his diligence in representing that industry and his constituency. Yesterday, Mr Speaker, I had a chance to have a very nice conversation with Harry's widow, Jill, and his family, and I asked them to say, how would they like to remember Harry? And she gave me this message, which I'll read out. We've admired the bravery and courage he showed in his life, which was formed during the miners' strike and carried him forward for the rest of his life. I'm sure the whole House and many in the much wider community will remember Harry as a decent, honourable man, absolutely dedicated to his community and his constituents, and we're very sad at his passing. Mr Speaker, also following the member for Eastleigh, I have a question on housing. I've got an email from Rosie. She's in her 20s. (laughs) 
unfortunately, unfortunately, Mr. Speaker, the the Rosie who's written to me doesn't have the same good housing that the uh, Chief Whip of our party does. But aspira aspiration springs eternal. Um, the Rosie who's written to me is in her twenties, and she says, "I work incredibly." I work incredibly hard at my job, yet I'm still having to live at home with my parents. The lack of housing options, Mr Speaker, are forcing her to consider moving, even leaving the country. She asked the Prime Minister what action he's going to take to help young people and families suffering from unrealistic house prices and uncapped rents to get somewhere safe and secure to live. Well, well, first of all, let me say to the right honourable gentleman, when you, when you get a letter from the Chief Whip, that normally spells trouble. <laughs> but what I would say to, what I would say to Rosie, uh, the Rosie who wrote to him, is we want to do everything we can to help young people get on the housing ladder. That's why we've got these uh, Help to Save ICES, and I hope she's looking at that. We're cutting Rosie's taxes, so this year she'll be able to earn £11,000 before she starts paying any taxes. If Rosie is a tenant in a housing association home, she'll be able to buy that home because we're introducing and extending the right to buy. And of course, with help to buy, she will have the opportunity to register for help to buy, which gives people the chance to have a smaller deposit on owning their own home. Now, if Rosie is not earning that much money but wants to be a homeowner, shared ownership can make a real difference. And in some parts of the country, you'll only need a deposit of some one or two thousand pounds to begin the process of becoming a homeowner. But I recognise in this Parliament, building more houses, following in those schemes, we've got to deliver for Rosie. Mr Speaker, I'm very pleased that the Prime Minister wants to help de deliver decent housing for Rosie. She lives and works in London, and as the Prime Minister knows, London is very, very expensive. He talks about people getting on the housing ladder, but the reality is that home ownership has fallen under his government by 200,000. It actually rose by a million under the last Labour government. His record is one of actually some years of failure on housing. He said that council homes sold under right to buy would be replaced like for like. Can the Prime Minister tell us how that policy is panning out? But first of all, let me start with what happened under Labour with right to buy sales. Because what happened was one council home was built, one council home was built for every 170 council homes they sold. That is the record. Now, we have said that we will make sure that two homes are built for every council home in London that is sold. That is because my honourable friend, the member for Richmond Park, insisted on that in an amendment to the housing bill. Now, these take some years to build, but the money that they will be built or the money comes back to the Treasury. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister ought to be aware that uh, just one home has been built for every eight that have been sold under his government. People are increasingly finding it very difficult to find anywhere to live. The Chancellor's crude cuts in housing benefits for those in supported, supported housing are putting at risk hundreds of thousands of elderly people, people with mental health conditions, war veterans and women fleeing domestic violence who need support. 
Can the Prime Minister tell the House what estimate housing providers have made in terms of the impact of this policy on supported housing? First of all, we are going to increase housing supply in the social sector by an £8 billion housing budget during this Parliament that's going to build 400,000 affordable homes. Now, when it comes to our reforms of housing benefit, yes, we have cut housing benefit because it was completely out of control when we came to government. There were families in London who were getting £100,000 of housing benefit per family. Think how many people, think how many roses were going to work, working hard every day just to provide that housing benefit for one family. Now, we support supported housing schemes and we'll look very carefully to make sure they can work well in the future. But I make no apology for the fact that in this Parliament we are cutting social rents. So if roses who are living in social houses going out to work will have lower rents under this government. Mr Speaker, I'm pleased the Prime Minister finally got on to the question of supported housing. Uh, Housing providers estimate that nearly half of all supported housing schemes will close. One in four providers is set to close all of their provision. This is a very serious crisis. I assume the Prime Minister is not content to see the elderly, people with mental health conditions and others with nowhere to live. So can he assure the House now that the warm words he's just given on supported housing will be matched by action and he will stop this cut which will destroy the supported housing sector? We we will continue to support the supported housing sector and the report that he quotes from was an opinion poll with an extremely leading question, if he actually looks at what it was he was looking at. But the changes that we're making, reducing social rents by 1% every year for four years, that is good news for people who go out to work, who work hard, who'd like to pay less rent. And that goes with the lower taxes that they'll be paying and the more childcare they'll be getting. The other change that we're making, which doesn't come into force actually till 2018, is to make sure that we're not paying housing benefit to social tenants way above what we would pay to private sector tenants. Because the simple point is this, and this is where I think Labour have got to focus, every penny you spend on housing subsidy is money you can't spend on building houses. So let's take this back, let's take this right back to Rosie in the beginning. She wants a country where we build homes. She wants a country where you can buy a home. She wants a country with a strong economy so you can afford to buy a home. All of those things were delivering. And you won't deliver them if you go on spending more and more money on subsidised housing and housing benefit. One day Labour's got to realise the welfare bills have to be brought under control. Mr Speaker, Shelter estimates that the measures in the housing bill will lose 180,000 affordable homes over the next four years. The Prime Minister is actually overseeing a very damaging housing crisis. It's pricing out people from buying. It's not providing enough social housing. Therefore, many people are forced to rely on the private rented sector. The benches behind him recently voted against an amendment put forward by my honourable friend for homes to be fit for human habitation. 
Labour invested £22 billion in government in bringing social homes up to decent home standard. There are now 11 million people in this country who are private renters. Does the Prime Minister know how many of those homes don't meet the decent home standard? To, to, to listen to Labour when in the last five years we built more council houses than they built in 30 years. Where, where was he? Where was he when that was going on? 13 years and an absolutely hopeless record on housing. What we're doing is an £8 billion housing budget that will provide 400,000 new affordable homes, a target to build a million homes during this Parliament, getting housing benefit down so we can spend money on housing and having a strong economy that can support the housing we need. Mr Speaker, I was asking through you, the Prime Minister, how many of the 11 million renters are living in homes that are not, do not meet the decent home standard and therefore substandard. I'll help him. One third of those in the private rented sector don't meet decent home standards. Shelter found that six out of ten renters have issues such as damp, mould, leaking roofs and windows. It's simply not good enough. Millions are struggling to get the home they deserve. More families slipping into temporary accommodation, elderly threatened with eviction, homelessness rising, too few homes being built, social housing under pressure, families forced into low standard, overpriced private rented sector, young people unable to move out of the family home and start their own lives. When is the Prime Minister going to realise there is a housing crisis in Britain? His government needs to address it now so that we do not continue with this dreadful situation in this country. Let me just take one of the figures that he mentions about homelessness. Homelessness is less than half the peak today that it was under the last Labour government. There's a simple point here. You can only invest in new houses. You can only restore existing houses. You can only build new houses. You can only support people into those houses if you've got a strong economy. Now, we inherited mass unemployment, an economy that had completely collapsed, a banking crisis, and now we've got zero inflation, wages growing, unemployment at 5%, an economy growing, and people able, for the first time, to look to their future and see they can buy and own a house in our country. Mr Speaker, Nadia Murad was a 19-year-old Yazidi woman when Daesh came to her village. They killed most of her family, they tortured her, they raped her, and they made her their slave. Mr Speaker, Nadia's story is the same as thousands of Yazidi women, except thousands of Yazidi women are still held in captivity, and Nadia managed to escape. And in fact, Nadia is in the public gallery today. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister join me in acknowledging Nadia's resilience, her bravery, the essential qualities that have allowed her to triumph over Daesh? And will he do everything in his power to redouble his efforts to support Yazidi women and to eradicate Daesh? Yeah. 
let me thank my honourable friend for raising this issue and the way in which he's done so. And let me welcome Nadia Murad, who's here with us today. She and the Yezidi community have suffered appallingly at the hands of this murderous, brutal, fascist organisation uh, in Syria and in Iraq. And we must do everything we can to defeat uh, Daesh uh, and its uh, violent ideology. Now, we're playing a leading role in this global coalition. And in terms of Iraq, uh, where so many Yazidis um, suffered. Daesh has lost over 40% of the territory it's once controlled, and so we are making progress. But as I said at the time of the debate about Syria, this is going to take a long time. Building up Iraqi security forces, working with Syrian opposition forces, building the capacity of governments in both countries to drive this evil organisation out of the Middle East. But however long it takes, we must stick at it. Yeah. Yeah. Robertson. Thank you. We in these benches join. We in these benches join in the condolences of the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition in relation to Harry Harpen, and pass on our best wishes to his family at this sad and difficult time. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister made a vow, and his party signed an agreement that there would be no detriment to Scotland with new devolution arrangements. Why is the UK Treasury proposing plans? that may be detrimental towards Scotland to the tune of £3 billion? Well, first of all, we accept the Smith principles of no detriment, and there are two principles. First of all, no detriment to Scotland, quite rightly, at the time when this transfer is made, in terms of Scotland having these new tax-raising powers, and then no detriment to Scottish taxpayers, but also to the rest of the United Kingdom taxpayers, who we have to bear in mind as we take into account this very important negotiation. Now, I've had good conversations with the First Minister. Negotiations are underway. I want us to successfully complete this very important piece of devolution in a fair and reasonable way, and these negotiations should continue. But let me remind the Right Honourable Gentleman, if we had had full fiscal devolution, with oil revenues having collapsed by 94%, the Right Honourable Gentleman and his party would be just weeks away from a financial calamity for Scotland. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. In the, in the context of referendums, whether in Scotland or across the UK on EU membership, don't voters have a right to know that what is promised by the UK government can be trusted and will be delivered in full? So, will the Prime Minister tell the Treasury that time is running out on delivering a fair fiscal framework and that they must agree a deal that is fair both to the people of Scotland and fair to the rest of the United Kingdom? I can tell him everything that has been committed to by this government will be delivered. We, we committed to this huge act of devolution to Scotland, and we've delivered it. We committed to the Scotland Bill. We're well on the way to delivering it. All the things we said we would, including those vital Smith principles. But there's an ongoing negotiation to reach a fair settlement. And I would say to the Scottish First Minister and the Scottish Finance Minister, they have to recognise there must be fairness across the rest of the United Kingdom too. But with goodwill, I can tell you, Mr Speaker, no one is keener on agreement than me. I I want the Scottish National Party, here and in Holyrood, to have to start making decisions. Which taxes are you going to raise? What are you going to do with benefits? I want to get rid of, frankly, this grievance agenda and let you get on with a governing agenda, and then we can see what you're made of. shortage in engineering in Wiltshire is particularly a problem. 
It is threatening and undermining all the work that we have done in job creation and also supporting businesses. It is, quite simply, a ticking time bomb. What, Mr Speaker, may I ask the Prime Minister, what can, more can he do to remove the stigma, misunderstanding and all the problems associated around STEM subjects and STEM careers? Well, I think my Honourable Fred is absolutely right to raise this. There are special circumstances in Wiltshire because, of course, you've got the enormous success of Dyson, which is hiring uh, engineers and skilled mathematicians and scientists from every university in the country, and long may that continue. What we will do is help by training three million apprentices in this parliament. We're giving special help to uh, teachers of STEM subjects and encouraging them uh, into teaching. But I think there's a lot that business and industry can do to help us in this by going into schools and talking about what these modern engineering careers are all about, how much, how much fulfilment people can get from these careers to encourage people to change the culture when it comes to pursuing these careers. Louise Elman. Young people afraid of losing their homes, women denied the pensions that they were expecting, and increasingly the needy left exposed without the social care they need to live a decent life. When will the Prime Minister address these scandals? Yeah. What we are doing for pensioners is putting in place the triple lock so that every pensioner knows there can never be another shameful 75 pence increase in the pension that we saw under Labour. They know that every year it would either be wages, prices or 2.5% and that's why the pension is so much higher than when I became Prime Minister. But of course we need to make sure there's a fair settlement for local government too and we'll be hearing more about that later today. But this ability of local councils to raise special council tax for social care will help an area where there is great pressure. Nigel Adams. The Spitfire was a crucial element in our winning the Battle of Britain 75 years ago and and keeping our country free from tyranny. However, there are some some who fear that our independent nuclear deterrent could be as obsolete as the Spitfire. Now, could could my uh, right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, assure the House and the country that this is not the case? It, it, it takes a quite a talent in a shadow defence secretary to insult, insult Spitfire pilots and our brave submariners all in one go. Another week, another completely ludicrous Labour position on defence. I think the last word should go to the Honourable Member for Bridge End, and thank you, Twitter, for this one, who, as she came out of the PLP meeting, tweeted this Oh dear, oh dear, oh my God, oh dear, oh dear. Need to go to rest in a darkened room. I expect she'll find the rest of her party will be there with her. Thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. At today's Biz Select Committee, the Business Secretary confirmed that the government won't support the EU Commission in raising tariffs on dumped steel from countries like China. Why won't the UK government stand up for UK steel? Yeah. 
we, we have repeatedly stood up for UK steel, including supporting taking anti-dumping measures in the EU. But that's not enough. We also need to get behind public procurement for steel, and that's what we're doing. We need to get behind reducing energy bills for steel, and that's what we're doing. We need to support communities like his own that have seen job losses, and that's exactly what we're doing. We recognise what a vital part of Britain's industrial base uh, the steel industry is, and that's why we're back here. Victoria Atkins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Julian Assange is accused of rape and is on the run. Despite this, a United Nations panel nobody has ever heard of declared last week that he has been arbitrarily detained and somehow deserving of compensation. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that this was a nonsensical decision, that Mr Assange should hand himself over to the Swedish prosecutors, and that if anyone is deserving of compensation, it is the British taxpayer who has had to pay £12 million to police his Ecuadorian hideout. My honourable friend is absolutely right. I think this was a ridiculous decision. You've got a man here with an outstanding allegation of rape against him. He barricaded himself into the Ecuadorian embassy and yet claims he was arbitrarily detained. The only person who detained himself was himself. Uh, And so what he should do is come out of that embassy and face uh, the, uh, the arrest warrant that is against him. He's being asked to stand trial in Sweden, a country with a fair reputation for justice, and he should bring to the end this whole sorry saga. Mike Weir. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Women's age groups, including my own in Angus, have raised serious concerns that changes in housing benefit may force the closure of many refuges. Will the Prime Minister undertake to specifically exclude refuges from these changes and protect this vital service for vulnerable women and children? I said in answers to questions from the Leader of the Opposition, we want to support supported housing projects that work in many of our constituencies, and we've all seen uh, how important they are. These changes we're talking about, about housing benefit, don't actually come into place until 2018, so there's plenty of time to make sure that we support supported housing projects. Stuart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Next month, Wilson Keynes will host the first ever National Apprenticeship Fair. We have a strong record in expanding apprenticeships, but is there not still a need for a cultural shift in careers advice to show that high-level apprenticeships are equally valid to to university places? I think my honourable friend is absolutely right that the careers advice we need to give young people is that there's a choice for every school leaver, we hope, of either a university place because we've uncapped university places or an apprenticeship because we're funding three million of them in this parliament. And we need to go on to explain that if you become an apprentice, that doesn't rule out doing a degree or a degree level qualification later on during your apprenticeship. The option of earning and learning is stronger in Britain today than it's ever been before. Joanna Cherry. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree that how we protect human rights in the legal systems of the United Kingdom deserves full and careful consideration? And will he give an assurance that his consultation on the repeal of the Human Rights Act will not conflict? with the pre-election PERDA periods in Scotland and the other devolved administrations. Well, we will look very carefully at all of these issues, but I would say to the Honourable Lady and to Honourable Members opposite, the idea 
that there were no human rights in Britain before the Human Rights Act is an absolutely ludicrous notion. This House has been a great bastion and defender of human rights, but we'll look very carefully at the timing of any of the announcements that we make. Sure, Andrew. Mr Speaker, I spent most of my working life in children's hospices who rely heavily on donations from organisations like Children in Need, who have a long and proud association with the town of Pudsey. Last week, Children in Need's most famous celebrity sadly passed away. Would my right honourable friend join me and the people of Pudsey in paying tribute to Sir Terry Wogan, who did so much to inspire millions of pounds to be donated to these causes? certainly very happy to do that and the honourable member uh, representing his constituency where Pudsey has such a connection with children in need is absolutely right to raise this. I think Terry Wogan was one of the great icons of, of this country. I think like many people in this house you sort of felt almost you grew up with him listening to him on the radio in the car or presenting blankety blank or all the many other things he did. Perhaps many people's favourite was uh, the Eurovision Song Contest, which every year he brought such great humour to. You didn't have to be a tog to be an enormous fan. I think we were all fans, and he'll be hugely missed, and his work with children in need was particularly special. John Nicholson. Uh, Mr Speaker, sir, on Monday I attended the Work and Pensions Tribunal appeal hearing for my constituent, Mrs Jackie Millen, a brave, inspiring woman who has dwarfism. Despite being unable to climb staircases except on all fours, she was awarded zero disability points by her assessor. Can I ask the Prime Minister whether he has, as a constituency MP, himself attended any tribunal hearings? And if so, whether he found the process fair, dignified and compassionate? I'm very happy to look into the specific case that he raises. As a constituency MP, of course I have people coming to my surgery with inquiries either about uh, employment and support allowance or indeed about disability living allowance. And also I've got the experience, having had a disabled son, of filling out all the forms myself and looking forward to the new uh, system, which I think with a proper medical check will work out better. Uh, So I have listened to these arguments, but we have to have a system of adjudication that is independent of politicians. And a milling. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Growing up nearby, I always knew that I was nearly home when I saw the iconic cooling towers of the Rugeley power stations on the horizon. On Monday, the owners of the remaining power station announced its likely closure this summer. Will my right honourable friend ask the Secretary of State to meet with me and discuss further? the government support that can be provided to the 150 workers and the provisions that can be made to ensure the site is redeveloped as quickly as possible. I I will certainly arrange for that meeting to take place and we should thank everyone who's worked at power stations that then come to the end of their lives for the work that they've done to give us electricity, to keep the lights on, to keep our economy moving. But I think she's absolutely right. As coal-fired power stations come to the end of their lives, we must make sure that proper redevelopment takes place so we provide jobs for constituents like hers. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Football Supporters Federation is considering calling on fans to hold mass walkouts in order to get their voices heard about the issue of ticket prices. Will the Prime Minister act to give fans a place at the table in club boardrooms in order that their voices can be heard when issues such as ticket prices are being discussed? 
I, I will look very carefully at the suggestion the honourable gentleman makes because I think there is a problem here where some teams and some clubs put up prices very rapidly uh, every year, even though so much of the money for football actually comes through the sponsorship and the equipment and other sources. So I'll look very carefully at what he says. Dr Julian Lewis. The vital debate and vote on the Trident Successor Submarine should have been held in the last Parliament, but was blocked by the Liberal Democrats. Given the fun that the Prime Minister had a few moments ago at the Labour Party's expense over Trident Successor, it must be tempting for him to put off the vote until Labour's conference in October. May I urge him, however, to do the statesmanlike thing and hold that vote as soon as possible, because Everyone is ready for it and everyone is expecting it. Well, what we should do is have the vote when we need to have the vote, and that's exactly uh, what we will do. But no one should be in any doubt that this government is going to press ahead with all the decisions that are necessary to replace in full our Trident submarines. And I think the Labour Party should listen to Lord Hutton, who was the Defence Secretary for many years, and he says this, if Labour wants to retain any credibility on defence whatsoever, it had better recognise the abject futility of what its leadership is currently proposing. So I hope when that vote comes, we'll have support from right across this House of Commons. Gareth Thomas! In light of today's damning National Audit Office report on teachers shortages. Will the Prime Minister now take urgent steps to help excellent schools such as those in my constituency recruit and crucially retain the best teachers, including by extending the so-called inner London waiting to all Harrow schools and indeed other suburban schools in London too? Well, obviously we'll look carefully at this report. There are 13,100 more teachers in our schools than when I became Prime Minister. Our teachers are better qualified than ever before. And actually we've got, well people are shouting out about increased pupil numbers, but they might be interested to know that we've got 47,500 fewer pupils in overcrowded schools than in 2010, because we put the investment in where it's needed. But where I agree with the Honourable Gentleman is we do need schemes like Teach First, like our National Leadership Programme, that are getting some of the best teachers into the schools where they're most needed. Mitchell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, deserves great credit for the results of the Syria replenishment uh, uh, conference, which was held uh, under his co-authorship in uh, London. But he will be aware that this can only address the symptoms of the catastrophe that is Syria today and not the causes. Can he tell the House what more he thinks the British government can do to try and promote the political track and ensure that it reaches the most speedy possible success. Well, first of all, can I thank my radical friend for what he says about the Syria conference, and it gives me the opportunity to thank my co-hosts, the Norwegians, the Germans, the uh, Kuwaitis, and uh, the Secretary-General of the United Nations. We raised in one day more money than has ever been raised at one of these conferences ever in history, over $10 billion. And I want to pay tribute to my radical friend, the Secretary of State for DFID, who did a lot of the very hard work that was done. Now, this money helps because it will keep people in the region, it will feed people, clothe people, make sure they get the medicine that they need, but we do need this political solution. We go on working with all of our partners to deliver this, but it does require all countries, including Russia, to recognise the need for a moderate Sunni opposition to be at the table to create a transitional authority in Syria. Without that, 
I fear, will end up with a situation uh, where you have Assad in one corner and Daesh in the other corner. The worst possible outcome in terms of terrorism, the worst possible outcome in terms of refugees, and the worst possible outcome for the future of Syria. Hey, Diana Johnson. Thank you. I'm sure the Prime Minister is looking forward to visiting Hull next year. As the UK City of Culture, we're already backed by many prestigious organisations like the BBC and the RSC. But we could do much better to, to make this a real national celebration of culture. Will the Prime Minister join with me in urging the many London-based national arts organisations to actually do their bit and contribute to the success of Hull 2017? I think the Honourable Lady makes a very important point, which is our national cultural institutions uh, have immense amount of works and prestige that they can bring out to regional galleries and regional centres when there's a City of Culture event, or frankly, uh, more broadly, and I do talk to them about that. I will be looking forward to visiting Hull. I know my honourable friends, as the City of Wilberforce, you'll all want to be joining me in uh, the City of Hull. It's a city of poets. Andrew Marvel, home to Philip Larkin for many years, and of course Stevie Smith, and uh, sometimes one might want to contemplate what it looks like not waving but drowning. Order, before